Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Take a minute, turn the radio up. Take a seat in the pastor's office. Right. Right. The frequency, tune in. Get up, word. Wearing Jonathan Mason. Oh, yes, you should. Take a minute, turn the radio up. And take a seat. Hey, Phyllis Favor listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you into the pastor's office this Sunday. We just got out of church, and I got to tell you, I am still on a spiritual high. There's something about First Sunday. There's something about celebrating communion. There's something about remembering the sacrifice that was made for us on Calvary's cross. There's something about remembering that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples where they came in confused, but they walked out giving praise. There's just something about when we do that on First Sunday that just energizes me and excites me. But I'm not going to start preaching today. I'm not going to start redoing my sermon. I always tell you, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube at Northeast Baptist Church Frankfurt or Northeast Baptist Church if you want to see what we do on Sundays. But right now, we're in the pastor's office, and you know we come in here every Sunday at 2 o'clock to talk about the issues of the day. And we've got a great guest for you right now, and I want to introduce him to you, and I'm just excited to get into a conversation with him. This gentleman is a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel. He represented Florida's 22nd Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. He's currently the chairman of the Texas Republican Party since 2020. You've heard his name. You know who he is. I want to welcome into the pastor's office this Sunday, Mr. Alan West. Mr. West, how are you this afternoon? Well, I'm doing very well, Pastor, and i got to tell you, when I was growing up as a kid, if you had to go into the pastor's office, you were about to get a whipping. <laughs> well, listen, so. listen, listen. You know, when I first introduced this show, I tried to explain it to our listeners that everything that happens in the church is decided in the pastor's office. Uh, uh, that's where folk go when they get in trouble. So I'm glad I got somebody on the line that can identify. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, please just call me Alan because Mr. West is my dad. Okay. All right. Then that's what we will do. Now, I hope you keep that same mentality when we're done this interview because we're going a bunch of places. All right. Oh, that's okay. It's all good. Sounds like a plan. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your service. You served in Desert Storm. Uh, you rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel. And, and I can't say enough, uh, political ideologies and differences aside, thank you for serving our country. We appreciate you for that. Well, my pleasure. And there's uh, four generations in my family, all combat veterans, and I was the third of those four generations. Okay. All right. Now, look, I want to uh, I want to get right into it with you. Mm-hmm. You know, while I was doing my research, I came across something that you wrote, and, and, I, and I just want to share it with you because 
I really want to get some clarity here. It says, remember these dates in our history, April 19th, 1775, and October 2nd, 1835. These are two dates when the Sons of Liberty in Massachusetts and Texans in Gonzales responded to threat and imminent objective of a tyrannical government to disarm them. In both cases, the actions of Lexington, Green, and the field of Gonzales is spurred forth movements towards independence. This is an email you wrote not too long ago, and and I read it, and I, I, I just had to ask you, what were you suggesting, or what did you mean by that statement? Well, you have to put it into the full context, because there are some people out there, and I travel all across the state of Texas, and I get a lot of inquiries across the country. And, you know, there, there are those that, you know, are saying that we have to resort into to violence or when is violence uh, necessary. And what I try to put it in everything in is a historical and factual context, uh, because I don't believe in political violence. Uh, and I've been very adamant about that. But our history shows that uh, between the British and what the action that they took, to the destroy a weapons and armaments factory, and then the Mexican cavalry and Gonzalez when they tried to come and take a cannon back. Anytime that there is a disarmament of the people in the United States of America, that's when you have seen uh, folks stand up and, and revolt against uh, that overreach of, of government. And that's why the Founding Fathers put the Second Amendment in there after our First Amendment rights, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of press, the freedom to assemble, the right to petition your government for redress of grievances, because they understood, uh, based upon that experience that they saw April the 19th of 1775, is that when individuals are armed, they're citizens. When they are disarmed, they're subjects. And so that's what I tried to get everyone to understand about the history of the United States of America and its founding, its independence, and what started it, and also the history of the great state of Texas and its fight for independence and what started it. So you said, let's look at it in context. Okay, let's look at it in the larger context. The statement was made at a time where passions were very high. Passions were very high on both sides as a result of the election that took place in November. Do you feel like the comments you made were in some cases uh, or, or, or could be interpreted as incendiary? No, absolutely not. Because as a matter of fact, if you read the title uh, because I do a Chairman's Monday message every Monday, and the title of that Chairman's Monday message was Cool Heads Always Prevail. And I talked about how if you're going to do something, you do it by the Constitution. You do it by the rule of law. And if you have read before I, that quote that you uh, said, and I said to all of you hotheads out there, here is what ends up being the Rubicon. Here is the only times really in our history that people have taken to this type of action uh, to, to, to establish a, a revolution or for independence. And that's why I use that. So I said that you know, what we need to do is adhere to the rule of law. Uh, and, and that's why, again, the, the title of that missus was cool, cool Heads Always Prevail. So I was trying to be the calming uh, effect. So, again, I think that it would be helpful if you publish that entire piece on your website and so that people can read the entire, uh, the entire missive. And you know what? I will absolutely publish it and make sure that they can see it on the pastor's office. I'm looking at my board up now so you can make sure that we get that done. But I do have to kind of ask this question, though, relative to all of 
of the stop and steal rallies that took place. And you were in attendance at several of them. Yeah. Uh, 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 it led to the what I call the calamity at the Capitol. It led to January 6th. I mean, all of that crescendoed with January the 6th. I, I don't know. Looking back, do you think that was the right approach for for the I call it the Trump Republican Party? But do you do you think that was the right approach to take? Well, I mean, you cannot say that that was a cause and effect. I mean, if you're going to try to blame, you know, for instance, the Vietnamese community down in Houston, they were having a, a stop the steal rally. You talk about 1,000 to 1,500 people. And they were concerned about uh, illegal actions. They were concerned about unconstitutional practices. And so, you know, then if we're going to, you know, try to establish that cause and effect, then what was the cause that brought us to the, uh, the violence that we saw in the streets last summer and that, with Antifa and, and some of the Black Lives Matter organizations? So I'm not trying to demonize or castigate an entire group of people for the actions of, you know, a few. And I think that's the exact same thing you should look at January the 6th. Without a doubt, those people were wrong. Those people should be held accountable. Those people should be punished for what they did. And that's something that I came out and said very uh, seriously. And so anytime that I was out speaking at these rallies, I was talking about the fact that you did have unconstitutional actions that were happening in several states. And I'll give you, uh, since you're in Philadelphia, I'll talk about in Pennsylvania. Our Constitution very clearly states that the only people that are allowed to change law or amend law is our state legislatures. Uh, the courts are supposed to interpret law, not change law. Uh, secretaries of state or governors are not supposed to change law. They're supposed to go through the legislative process. And so even what you saw happen in Pennsylvania were governors and courts that changed election law even up to days before the election itself. And that should have been something that was handled by state legislatures. And that's just part of our constitutional construct. That's part of the rule of law that we have, and that's enumerated in our respective U.S. Constitution and also our state constitutions. So I think that if someone is speaking out about the rule of law, that is not the means by which we try to demonize them for saying that, ergo, you're responsible for what happened on January the 6th. But 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 here's my concern about that, and I, and I and I appreciate your answer. But but you believe in the rule of law. You defended this country in foreign lands. Nobody can question your patriotism. So we do believe in in the setup of our government, and we do believe in law. There were over sixty lawsuits that went forth relative to this election, uh, and, and but yet I still hear folks like yourself say that there were unconstitutional things that took place, but the judges, many of them appointed by a Republican, many of them appointed by Trump, many of them have rejected those theories. When the courts speak, why are we still talking at that point? Because we do believe in the setup that of this country that the courts interpret law. Well, if, if we are of the, of the belief, Pastor, that man can't get something wrong, then I, I think that uh, we 60 we might times, be, uh, Alan? You know, we might we might be going down the wrong path. Look, you know, as I just stated, this is very simple. Uh, it, it, it's clear. No, nobody but a state legislature is supposed to amend or change law. And we even had that uh, question here in Texas. And I spoke out against the Republican governor of Texas who changed our election law by extending early voting from two weeks to three weeks instead of having the state legislature come back into session and uh, make that change to election law. So I, I call things fair no matter who is doing it based upon the rule of law. So if there are judges out there that decide that, you know, for whatever reason, they're going to be activist judges, 
And I don't care who appoints them. I'm just talking about what is right and what is wrong. And uh, I think that it's very important that we point that out. And I'll give you a great case in point. The Supreme Court had ruled uh, against the South Carolina Democrat Party that said you had to have a signature verification on these mail-in ballots. But then uh, maybe a month or so later, the Secretary of State in Georgia, a Republican, decided that he would do a consent decree saying that you did not have to have any signature ver verification on mail-in ballots. That Secretary of State violated the law. And there was a law that had just been ruled upon a couple of you know weeks or so earlier by the United States Supreme Court against the South Carolina Democrat Party. Now, have I said that that Republican Secretary of State was wrong? Absolutely, I have said that. So again, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to call a ball a ball and a strike a strike. I don't see R's and D's. I see the rule of law. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, because as I've followed you throughout the years, you're a straight and logical talker. Whether we agree or disagree on points, I really wanted to have, and I believe we are having, a good discussion, because I want our listeners to understand how some of those that are on the other side are really thinking about what they see. Let me, let me ask you this. Five people lost their life on January 6th. We just found out the other day that one of the officers lost three fingers, another one has lost lost it, now lost his sight. I heard you say earlier that those that participated in the in the riots should be held accountable. But what about those folks that spoke at the rally before the riots? What about what about Trump? What about Giuliani? What about these individuals that, uh, you know, stirred up the crowd, as it were, and said they were going to be right there with them? Should they be held accountable? If you are a person that told someone to go to the Capitol and conduct violence and attack police officers, yeah, you should be held accountable. But, you know, I'll give you another case in point. Do you know the story of uh, Democrat Representative Cory Bush from Missouri? Uh, not specifically. Okay. I will, let me, uh, Democrat Representative, Member of Congress, Cory Bush, uh, she led several violent mobs in St. Louis. Uh, one of those uh, mobs that she led was a night of extreme violence where buildings were burned, uh, property was destroyed, and there was a police officer uh, by the name of David Dorn, black man, that was killed. Then also she led two mobs against two uh, private citizens, Mark and Patty McCloskey, calling for her to be raped, her, uh, the husband to be uh, murdered, and their house to be burned down. She should not be a member of the United States House of Representatives. So, again, let's call everything fair as fair, just the same as the people that dismissed or uh, did not uh, take any actions against uh, what we saw last summer with Antifa and Black Lives Matter out in Portland and Seattle and some other places with that type of violence. So all I'm saying, Pastor, is that I hate hypocrisy. I just want us all to, to call it the same no matter what, because if we don't, then we are undermining the rule of law in our country. We are undermining safety and security, and we're making excuses saying that one group can do something, another group can do something. I hate political violence. And when you think about the Capitol, that is one of the institutions that my father, my older brother, myself, and my nephew, we all took a note to support and defend and, and to serve. And I served in that Capitol as a member of the United States House of Representatives. So, yes, if you specifically said anything that incited people to go out and enact uh, in violence, not just on January the 6th, but at any point in time in the United States of America, such as Representative Cory Bush did, uh, you should be held accountable for that. You're the head of the Texas Republican Party. And now, uh, from your perspective, you're looking at Washington, D.C. 
and you're looking at a House that is run by the Democrats, a Senate that is run by the Democrats, and the White House that is occupied by a Democrat. This is after four years of Trump in the White House. Uh, It seems to me that America has rejected the Trump ideology. I wanted to get your perspective on that. Well, I don't think America has rejected the Trump ideology. I think that what you saw was a rejection of President Trump. I mean, you know, consistently and constantly, you know, demonizing and what have you. But when you think about what happened for the black and Hispanic communities, record low unemployment, the support that you saw at the historic black colleges and universities, the criminal justice reform that we had. If you remember the young lady from uh, Philadelphia, a young black girl who was there with her single mom that President Trump at his last State of the Union address gave her an education opportunity scholarship on the spot. So I don't think it's a repudiation of the policies that were there. I think it was about hating him more than anything else. And so now let's look at what has happened in the last two weeks of the Biden administration with some, I don't know, 43, 44 executive orders. I don't think anybody in the United States of America, and probably you included, Pastor, you don't want to see your taxpayer dollars going to countries overseas so that they can murder unborn babies, which in the uh, black community here in the United States of America since Roe v. Wade, we're talking about over 20 million babies have been murdered in the womb. That's a genocide. That is something we should be very concerned about. Uh, You look at the black uh, worker on the Keystone XL pipeline who did a video saying, hey, Joe Biden, I'm just out here trying to work and earn a living for my family. I just bought a new car, and one of your first executive orders put me out of work. Uh, You think about education opportunities. You think about you know, young black girls that want to aspire to get a uh, college basketball or track scholarship or whatever, but now they're being told that they have to compete against biological males. That's something that came down from the Biden administration. So I don't think it was a repudiation of the policies, economic policies, energy policies, foreign policy, national security policy. I just think that uh, the United States of America was told to hate President Trump, and that was reflected in the electorate. You know, you talked about hypocrisy earlier, and, and, and I agree with you. I don't, I don't like hypocrisy either, but we also have to recognize that when Trump came into office, he signed many executive orders as well. So just as, you know, we don't want to see the person on the Keystone Pipeline lose their job, I also don't want to see babies at the border ripped from their parents, never to be able to see their families again. And so— so Well, let, so, me, let, me, let me explain uh, that a little bit, because I do live in Texas, and I've been down to that border. Okay. One of the things that is happening on the border, you can go down and talk to the people in the area, you can talk to the Border Patrol agents, is that the uh, drug cartels and others are using children to get adults into this country. And a lot of times uh, those, those kids are not related to those, uh, those parents. And so that was one of the reasons why you saw a separation of some of these quote-unquote families, because the policy had been that if you come in as a family unit, you get to stay in the country. So it was about protecting these kids. And let me tell you about Texas. Texas is the number one state in the United States of America for human and sex trafficking. And that's another reason why we have to make sure that these kids are not just with someone that is trying to get them in the country to be trafficked later on. And the two biggest cities in the country for human and sex trafficking, Houston and Dallas. 
So we got a big issue on the border with protecting children. So I think that that was one of the things that the Trump administration did not articulate very well. Uh, maybe if uh, you know he had you know allowed some of the border patrol people to explain that, it would have been better. Yeah, and I hear you. And and listen, that's why we all have our own opinions about matters, and that's why we have programs like this so people can make their own decisions. But when I look at it, you know, one of the things that the current administration is doing now is trying to reconnect some of these children that still are not with their parents back with their parents. That's a major focus. So we can't say just because the drug cartels are using some of the children to get adults in, we can't say that there were not children taken from their parents. There were. Uh, and, and, and so we're, we're, all, we're all trying to figure this out. So I, I definitely appreciate your opinion. But yeah, but you, can't, but you can't also send down by executive order saying that we're going to stop all deportations of people that are here illegally, many of them having you know, committed some, uh, some violent crimes that we are suffering through here in Texas. And that's why the Texas Attorney General brought a lawsuit against the Biden administration on that specific executive order, and uh, the federal judge sided with the attorney general here in Texas. Let me, let me ask you a question relative to the Republican Party now. It's clear that your party has some deep divisions currently. I mean, we look at what happened with Liz Cheney just the other night. We look at Marjorie Taylor Greene and everything that's going on with her. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think we make people celebrities and make them more important than they really are by giving them so much air. But nonetheless, it really does look like a party that's fighting for its brand. Where do you see the Republican Party going now that we've got a new administration and now that Trump's down at Mar-a-Lago? Well, I will tell you that, you know, I am the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. That's my number one focus. And if you look at the history, the Republican Party of Texas was founded on Independence Day of 1867 by 150 black men. And I'm not the first black chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. I'm the, uh, the second, some would say even the third. So I think what we must continue to do, something that Donald Trump was able to do, he had the largest amount of minority electoral support in 60 years to a Republican uh, presidential candidate or president. So we have to continue to uh, build upon that engagement with the black, Hispanic, and Asian communities. That's one of the things that we are doing here in the state of Texas. So I, I don't get too caught up on, you know, what's going on in D.C. or what's going on uh, with, with another member of Congress from another state. But I will tell you this, that once upon a time there was a fight within the Democrat Party. It was a very quiet fight. There used to be something called blue dog Democrats, conservative Democrats. But slowly but surely, the, uh, the left in the, uh, in the Democrat Party has eliminated them. And, and I served with a lot of those conservative Democrats. So, uh, you know, I, I, there without a doubt is, is a little bit of a rift going on within the Republican Party as far as those people that have, you know, decided they didn't want to support President Trump, voted for the impeachment. That's the big issue with Liz Cheney. But we'll soldier on through this because it's going to come down to one single thing. What's best for people here in Texas and what's best for people across the country? Well, let's look at Texas. I mean, when we think about Texas, uh, I, I want to first say in Georgia, we saw that as a result of everything that's going on, for the first time, they elected two Democrats uh, to the Senate. Uh, you know, rumors out on the street. There's a lot of buzz going around that Beto O'Rourke's going to make a run for governor. And looks kind of good for him. Talk to me a little bit about what you see on the horizon there. 
I don't think uh, Mr. Robert Francis O'Rourke has a has a shot at being the governor of Texas. Um, you know, he did come very close back in 2018 uh, to win in a Senate seat. He lost by 2.3 percent against uh, Senator Ted Cruz. But I think he had a very fawning and adoring media that uh, did not ask him any hard questions. And Senator Ted Cruz didn't really engage him early on like he should have. But now that people have seen more about uh, Mr. O'Rourke, the fact that he uh, stands for open borders, that's not a very good issue to run on as governor of Texas, even in the Hispanic community. The fact that he is not supportive of the Second Amendment, that's not a good issue to run on here in the, in the state of Texas. And some of his uh, economic and energy policies, definitely. I mean, when you talk about decimating the oil and gas industry in Texas, that's the reason why America is energy independent. So I don't think that uh, he would fare very well running for governor of Texas now. Now, uh, if, if he, this was his first time coming out and running, maybe so. But I think now people know a lot more about Mr. O'Rourke than they did back in 2018. I mean, let me pivot real quick to Republicans and Democrats working together to benefit the American people. The partisan divide is is greater in the country now than I've ever seen it in my my 48 years of paying attention. I often go back to, to, to Reagan and Tip O'Neill. They used to fight all day, but they had this mantra that after 6 o'clock they were friends and they'd have a drink together. It just doesn't seem like that's the case anymore in state houses and in the Capitol on Washington, D.C. How do we bring these parties together to really benefit the American people? Because at the end of the day, isn't that what it's all about? It is all about. It's about, you know, like I said, our, our Constitution, our freedoms, our rule of law, and what's best for the American citizen. Uh, I don't think you have so much of a rift between R&D. Uh, I think you have an ideological chasm that is expanding. Uh, and, and I call it between constitutional conservatism and progressive socialism. I think that when you read the Declaration of Independence, uh, you know, we are a unique country. No other country was established upon the belief that the inalienable rights of the individual come from the creator God, not man, not government, but from the creator God. And of those are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So what we have to do is get back the right balance between the sovereignty of the individual, and the individual is sovereign in America because we get our rights from a sovereign God, as opposed to the institution of government. Does government play a role? Do they have policies that they're supposed to implement? Absolutely. That's part of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States of America. But I think that you're starting to see an ideological agenda, which is contrary to uh, the, the fabric of the United States of America. And Pastor, I will be very honest. It does not bode well for this country when we start to demonize people and we start talking about re-education camps and deprogramming people. That's the type of language that you hear in countries that I used to stand uh, against on freedom's ramparts, like the Soviet Union, East Germany, you see in China. You see indoctrination camps and re-education camps in China of Uyghurs. You see a suppression of rights for Christians in China and some other places. We don't want to go down that path. So I think that we have to be very careful about the language that is out there. And if we want to have unity, we can't have censorship. We can't have this type of fascism. We can't have the hypocrisy that we, uh, I think you and I would agree, exists right now. Uh, I can't let you go 
without asking you this question. Uh-oh. Um, no, no, no. This this is easy. I told you I wouldn't throw you any left. I'm not a Dallas Cowboys <laughs> fan. I know you folks in Philadelphia you don't like the Dallas Cowboys. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. No, no, no. I'm I'm I, I, I'm I'm all with I'm all with St. Louis this week, my friend. All with St. <laughs> Louis this week. But no, I, I I gotta ask you as a black man, as a black man here in these United States, knowing what our people have come through over 400 years and still going through today. Yeah, we saw Barack Obama as president, but just a few weeks ago, just a couple weeks ago, we saw our first woman sworn in as vice president of these United States, our first black woman, our first woman of Asian descent. As a black man, I understand American, I got you there, but as a black man, how'd that make you feel? Well, let me uh, kind of give you a little bit of my background. Uh, I grew up in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. That's the same neighborhood that produced Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And as a matter of fact, uh, today, uh, February the 7th, is my 60th birthday. Happy and birthday, was, sir. Well, well, thank you. Now, I was born in a blacks-only hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And I will always never, ever forget, and, and these were, you know, a lesson from Dr. King and also a lesson that my mother and father inculcated into me. It's not about the color of your skin. It's about the content of your character. So I want to see good leaders. I don't want to see leaders based upon skin color, uh, ethnic background, whatever. I want to see good leaders for my country. That's the most important thing. So, you know, am, am I proud to see the, the, the incredible uh, heights that we have achieved as, as a black people in the United States of America? Absolutely. But I want to make sure that we are looking to people for their character, for their principles, for their values, and not just because they have a certain pigmentation. Okay. All right. All right. Well, listen, Alan West. I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. As I shared with you when we were booking you, I, I wanted to just hear your thoughts. I wanted our listeners to hear your thoughts, and I think they've had that opportunity for the last 30 minutes, and now they can make their own decisions, and hopefully they've gotten some good information. So I want to thank you for joining us here. I hope that as things progress with our country and over this next year, that we can call on you to come on back in here to talk about the issues of the day. Sir, happy birthday, and thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, and always remember, Pastor, that iron sharpens iron, okay? So it's a pleasure to be with you. All right. Don't you make me start preaching up in here. Have a good evening. God bless you. All right.